some doctors that I talk to, that's the only thing they come to me to ask about is they they just want to make sure that's taken care of. I mean, and then you talk about disability insurance and like that's millions of dollars of future income. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle here again with Corey again. Hey. Say hi. There we go. <laughs> I hope you guys are all doing well and staying healthy out there. I know things have been a little crazy lately. Today, we wanted to talk to something that comes up really frequently with our clients and is not necessarily related to the current situation, but that's own occupation disability insurance. It's actually one of the first topics that comes up with a lot of our clients, something a lot of people are thinking about, and we're just getting to it, but we'll cover it pretty thoroughly for everyone. Um, if you have any questions about it, you can always follow up and email us afterwards too. But the goal today is just to walk you guys through a few basics. So without further ado, I think Corey's going to kick it off. Yes. Own occupation, disability insurance. Um, you know, this, I've, some doctors that I talk to, that's the only thing they come to me to ask about is they want, they just want to make sure that's taken care of um, because they realize the importance. Other people, it's a little bit more of an educational process where we have to teach them what it is, why it's important. Um, and we'll go through that today. But uh, you know, a good, I guess, personal story to share, um, kind of why I work with physicians. You know, many of you who know me and listen to this know my dad is a, a retired surgeon. Um, and when I was, a, and, and I didn't want to follow in his footsteps and go through med school, he did a good job uh, dissuading me from that. Um, all of you doctors out there, I love you, but you're all crazy for, for the torture you put yourselves through between uh, med school, residency, the training, the nights on call. Um, I commend you, but that, that wasn't for me. Um, but you know, it, it, it's a natural progression to just work with you guys because I've been around you all my life. All my life. Um, but when I was a little kid, my dad actually got disabled. He had, um, I believe, it was a compressed nerve in his neck that made his hands go numb uh, at random times throughout the day. And for those of you who are surgeons or, or those of you who use your hands, can imagine it's difficult to operate with numb fingers and numb hands. So fortunately, he had a good disability policy that was paying him a claim for a couple of years. Um, and he eventually was able to get some procedures done that corrected the issue and was able to get back to, to operating and back to full speed. But it would have been pretty scary in my family growing up if he didn't have that policy. Um, no income, because if you can't if you're a surgeon and you can't operate, it's hard to uh, to earn an income. Um, there's not a whole a big demand for surgeons that can't operate. Um, and it would have been pretty scary uh, you know, if, if, that, if he didn't have that policy. So I've seen it firsthand. It could happen to anyone. Statistically, it won't happen. Statistically, you will not get disabled, but there's a good enough chance, according to the Department of Labor, about a 25% chance that um, you will, at some point in your career, one out of four people will incur an injury or an illness, most likely. Um, I think about 90% of disabilities are illness related. And so there's about a one in four chance that you'll incur something that'll keep you out of work for at least 90 days. And if it's an extended period of time, that could be very problematic to your financial future and financial picture uh, currently. So the whole point today is teach you about the importance of disability insurance, what it is, uh, what own occupation disability insurance is, and then hope to get you guys on the right direction so you can find uh, the appropriate policy for your needs. 
Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of things that are a little bit confusing about disability insurance. So it's good just to walk through some basics so everyone knows what we're talking about here. Because sometimes I feel like we get into this jargon where we just say things that don't necessarily ring a bell for everyone. And a lot of you may have done some research on this already, so it's all like clicking. But I think it, it's helpful just to go back to the beginning a little bit. So there is a little bit of a difference between like having disability insurance and having own occupation disability insurance. And I think that's really important and actually probably plays out in that example with your dad a lot, Corey, because he, yeah, so if he just had disability insurance that protected his ability to work, he probably could have worked just fine with you know his hands going numb once in a while. There's lots of jobs that he could have done, but not being a surgeon. And that's what that own occupation disability insurance does. You know, that protects you in, in your ability to do your specific job at the time that you're disabled. So when you're in medicine, that means, you know, if you are practicing and you're a hematologist, oncologist, it protects your ability to do that job. If you can't do that job, then you're considered disabled. Um, and the other occupation or the, the other definition of disability on a lot of policies is something called any occupation. And that just means that you can't do anything that you're reasonably qualified to do, which is obviously like a much, much higher bar to, to jump and to, to kind of prove that you're disabled and you can't work. And even if you could work in another capacity, if you couldn't practice medicine, it's very likely that if you were practicing in that capacity, you're not making nearly as much as you would as a physician. Like there are other jobs that maybe you would, but many, many, many they where you would not. And so that income differential can be really huge, too. Absolutely. And yeah, that own occupation, um, you know, it even for the good companies, it's really specific to you and your specific job duties. So even within a particular specialty, there could be a, a variety of job duties, whether you're in private practice and academics, doing research and clinic, whatnot. Um, so having a, a policy that you know, I'm paraphrasing that says if you cannot perform your specific job duties, you're considered disabled. Um, so within your specialty, if you can't do those specific tasks, then you're eligible for a benefit. And like Rochelle mentioned that any occupation would be if you can't do any job. Um, you know, so if you can't sweep floors, flip burgers, greet people at Walmart, lick stamps, you know, if you, if you have a policy like that, the, the disability company will say, oh, you have a tongue with, with saliva on it, go to the post office and get a job licking stamps. You're not disabled anymore. Maybe a little bit of extreme, but but you get the idea. Um, we want a job that protects you or a, a policy that protects you, all the hard work you've put in over the years, all the student loans you've taken out, all the income potential that you have from your refined specialty. We wanna make sure that if you can't do that highly trained job anymore, you're eligible for a disability benefit, regardless of whether or not you choose to go work in another field. Um, you know, that's your prerogative, but we want to make sure if you can't do your specific job, you're uh, eligible for benefits and getting paid uh, from your insurance. Yeah, and I think there, we get a lot of questions about like, okay, why do I need this now? Like, how is this applicable to me? I'm not going to get disabled. And like, like you said, Corey, there's a good chance that you won't, but there's a possibility that you will. And if you do, that derails everything. Like your income is what holds the whole financial plan together. If you don't have income, there is no financial plan. Um, and that's especially true for, for, for physicians, because especially when you're in training, you're making a very small portion of what we're planning on your income being. 
and it's really hard to protect that income. And when you do get like an individual policy, it can kind of layer on top of maybe some small amount of group coverage you have through residency and provide you with some additional protection so that you're protecting a little bit more of that income. Um, yeah, it's, and it's really hard to replicate like your physician income in another field to retrain and do something else where you can make the same kind of money. So I, I think it, it's one of those things that's kind of obvious, but at the same time, a lot of people feel a little bit invincible, especially when they're young and they're healthy. Totally agree. Um, I think the whole point of getting it is, and any insurance for that matter, take a step back, forget about disability, let's talk about insurance in general. Why do people buy insurance? It's to protect against those what-if scenarios, those catastrophic events that could potentially ruin you or your family financially. You know, people know that they should get life insurance when they have kids because if they pass away, they want to make sure their kids are taken care of financially. Um, people just automatically buy car insurance when they get a car or a driver's license. It's ingrained in our brains that that's what we do. Part of it's the law. We have to get car insurance if we want to legally drive. But but still, I think most people, if it wasn't the law, would still get car insurance. Same with homeowners insurance. You uh, you buy a house, you get homeowners insurance. It's just automatic. Again, a lot of that is is a required in order to get a mortgage. But uh, most people, I'm guessing, after they pay off their mortgage, still maintain their homeowners insurance because if their house burns down, they want to make sure that they're getting reimbursed appropriately. Uh, for that loss. No different with your income. And your income, I could make a very strong argument that it, it's the most valuable asset uh, that you have. Um, we're, we're talking upwards of potentially $10 million for many of the people listening to this. If you're a physician, you have a very high career earning potential, especially when you factor inflation into the equation. Uh, if you can't do your job and earn that income anymore, that's a massive loss. And most of you, the only reason you're still working is because you need your income. Once you no longer need income anymore, then we don't need disability insurance. And, and you're just working because you'd be bored otherwise. But for the majority of people who are still working, um, the reason they're working is because they rely on their income to pay their bills and save for retirement, you know, send the kids to summer camp and pay for their college and you know all the things that you want to do in your life unfortunately the majority of those things require income in order to allow you to do them so as long as you depend on income um, it's it's important to protect that income as best as possible regardless of how likely or unlikely it is that you think you'll get disabled. I think statistically, we're all more likely than we think um, like Rochelle said it when we're young and healthy we think we're invincible. But I mean, physicians of, of all people should should have an appreciation for that uh, that lack of invincibility. You know, you see people every day coming into the to your office into the hospital that you know they used to be healthy, and then something happened, um, and they're not so healthy anymore. And uh, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen to you guys. But if it does, and it and it, it's something that prevents you from working to your full capabilities, we want to make sure that the income still flows and that you can still accomplish the majority of your financial dreams. Yeah, I love the car insurance example because it's amazing that people don't bat an eye about spending $100 a month to protect their $10,000 car. And obviously, like there's some liability protection there and stuff too. But 
I mean, and then you talk about disability insurance and it, like that's millions of dollars of future income, like you said. And, and yeah, it can be a little bit more challenging for people to accept that they need that. But you do <laughs> most of the time. And I think as far as when you should get it, that's another big question that we often get. And the answer is just as soon as you can, really, most of the time. Like if you qualify for coverage and that's if you're in training, you probably do. Um, if you can get it now, then let's protect your income because that's what we need to do. There's also discounts that you have access to when you're in training that you may or may not have access to as an attending. Like once in a while, you're at an institution that has a discount, but more often than not, you don't. So if you lock in a policy when you're a student or when you're a resident or when you're a fellow, you can lock in those discounts and those discounts stay with you through the life of the policy. So you will pay less over the life of your policy if you can get something and lock in that discount. So that's a huge deal, I think. If we need this coverage, we might as well spend as little as possible on the coverage. And then another thing, yeah, I was just going to say, like, Corey and I were talking about this a little bit before, but I had a client who she didn't want to get in in her first year because, you know, she didn't want to spend the money. She felt like she was young and she was healthy. And later on in training, when she wanted to circle back and get coverage, like she had been diagnosed with MS at that point and she was OK. She wasn't disabled currently. But when you are looking at disability insurance, most of the time you have to go through some medical questions and they're going to ask you if they're healthy because they want to mitigate their risks too. And if you're not healthy, it can be really, really difficult to get coverage for her. Like she wasn't able to qualify with any of the companies that we would normally look at or get like one of those strong policies. And if like, even if she could qualify, what she would qualify for would be a very, very reduced benefit. And that's the other thing that can happen if you do have health things that pop up is they might offer you very limited coverage. So you have some protection, but not nearly as much as we would hope for, especially if you have an underlying health condition. That's when you need that coverage the most. Yeah, it's so sad to hear stories like that. I mean, we all, at least in our profession, have numerous ones. You know, I have a client who um, kind of same thing, didn't feel compelled to get coverage and then she actually had a brain tumor um you know they were able to get it removed and and everything's fine now but now she's now that she wants disability insurance after going through that scare she's not able to get it i have a cousin who had uh, lymphoma when he was in med school and he's not going to be eligible to get disability insurance um for probably at least a decade uh you know after that um you just never know what could happen that could either render you disabled, which is the whole point of getting it in the first place, or prevent you from qualifying for it down the road um, if you don't already have it. And I think Rochelle was being nice when she said, you you know, as soon as you can get it, you should. And I'm going to be able to play bad cop here and say, no, you should have got it yesterday if you don't (laughs) already have it. So as soon as you can means now you, you need it. Um, ASAP. The only reason that you shouldn't be getting it is if, I guess, you literally can't qualify due to health reasons or, you know, maybe if you're, 
uh, you know, a first year med student, then, then yeah, you, you, I don't think you can qualify. I think you have to be in at least your third year. Um, although some companies may have changed and, and bent the rules and offer it to first or second years. But my, um, you know, the majority of companies, I think third or fourth year of med school is the earliest you can get it. At, really at the latest, your intern year is when you should be getting disability insurance. Lock it in as soon as possible. One, it's never going to be easier to get when you're young and healthy. Um, the cost will never be cheaper when you're young and healthy. Every year that you get older, it gets more and more expensive. Last I checked, rarely do people get younger and healthier over time. So sooner rather than later is when you want to look into getting that coverage, just one, to lock it in while your health is good so you can get all the features that you want on a policy. Um, but also the cost, like Rochelle said, uh, you get discounts when you're in training. Um, you know, some institutions you can still get discounts at afterwards, but but pretty much every teaching hospital um, that residents and fellows are, are training at in America are able to get a, a decent sized discount with most disability companies, um, and, and the pricing is is more favorable the earlier you get it, and those that savings really can can uh, can make a difference over the long run. And save you a lot of money over the course of your career. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention, just to make sure that everyone's aware of this, is that if you do have any sort of underlying medical conditions or anything like that that might make it difficult for you to get coverage, you absolutely should be asking at your institution to see if you have access to something called a guaranteed standard issue plan. There, there are some of these throughout the country that are set up specifically with teaching institutions that allow you to get coverage without having to answer those medical questions. Like they basically offer it to everyone. So if you ask and you can get access to that, that's amazing. Like that's one way that you can potentially get covered. But again, like there, I would say maybe like 10% of training institutions have those, maybe even less. Yeah, yeah I would say fewer. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's worth asking, but you cannot you cannot depend on that being there for you. Correct. Yeah, they're you know few and far between, um, and it's only for those people in training. Like if you're an attending at a, a teaching hospital, you wouldn't be eligible. But it's for the GME program. If uh, if you're part of that program and they have that, you can potentially qualify for that. Um, or you can qualify for that if it's available at your hospital without going through medical underwriting. And those are huge because um, some people aren't eligible to get coverage through traditional medical underwriting. <clears throat> That's really the only option for a quality policy. And um, I know we've helped some people get those set up at, at a couple institutions in America. Um, insurance companies are a little... Um, finicky, I guess, in, in making those available because, again, they're not ask, asking any health questions, but it is possible if it's not available at your institution to potentially get one set up for your institution if uh, you knock on the right doors. So, Absolutely. And I think that goes back to like the next thing we wanted to cover is just like where should you go about getting disability insurance? And one thing that I think is really important is that you realize that there's not one best company that works for everybody. It's not the same thing, whether you're talking to like a male surgeon in Texas versus a female OB-GYN in Alabama, like they're, they're not the same thing. And you wanna work with someone who is an independent person and can look at all of those different companies to compare them for you, to look at all of them, to see what's gonna price out the best, which one has the features that best suit your needs and then go from there, as opposed to just working with someone that says, 
hi, I sell this AB insurance and this is the kind that's best for you because I sell AB insurance. Like, no, let's not, let's not do that. So it's really important to know all of your options because yeah, it, you can end up overpaying, you can end up with the policy that's really just not suited very well for you if you're not doing that. So I think that's a really important piece just to know and remember. Agreed. Yeah, there's no one company that's the best um, for everyone. You know, depending on your circumstances, your needs, uh, different companies might be more appropriate for you than for someone else. There's usually at least a couple companies that are competitive price-wise, you know, depending on your age, gender, specialty, what state you live in. Um, so it definitely helps to have someone who, like Rochelle said, is independent, isn't obligated to recommend one company over another and can help you shop the market, figure out which company may make the most sense to apply with. Um, if you're talking to someone who says, you know, this is the company you should get because they're the best. Here's all the reasons why this company's the best. There's a good chance that person works for that company and is paid to recommend that company's products. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, you know, that it might be a great policy and then perfectly appropriate for you. It's just hard to know if you're getting objective guidance or not um, if, if they're employed by the company manufacturing those products. So there's really... Um, depending on what state you live in, five or six disability companies that offer that own occupation, specialty specific disability coverage for physicians. And again, depending on your circumstances, there's probably at least a couple who are competitive and have the key features that you would want to have on a policy. Now you may choose to, to pay more for a different company um, product just because for whatever reason you like the specific features that they have based on your needs and goals um, you know every company has some minor nuances that that separate them from the rest of the pack and uh, you know again so each company has their strengths and and, and some weaknesses um, and, and each person is different in their needs so there's no one company that's the best um, in all options so definitely uh, make sure you're 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 going through someone who can help you explore what those options are Absolutely. And I think it's good to just have someone in your corner that you can ask questions of too, because we get a lot of questions about specifics. And I do think that there's a lot of common misconceptions out there and, and mistakes that people make. And a lot of the questions revolve around that. So I think a few times this week, I've had people say, you know, I don't feel like I'm very likely to get disabled in my job because you know, I work in primary care or I'm a psychiatrist or something like that. Like I don't use my hands every day. I don't need that. Um, and I think that's a big misconception. And Corey mentioned this earlier, but most of the time when we're dealing with long-term disabilities, it's not because of an injury. It's not because of a car accident. It's not because of something like that. A lot of times it's things like illnesses and chronic conditions, and that can affect anyone and that can affect anyone's ability to do their job whether they're sitting at a desk or helping patients or performing surgeries like those are the kinds of things that make it very difficult for anyone to do their job and these insurance companies they price their products um, based on your specialty too so the the specialties that 
are higher risk and more susceptible to different things like you know the surgeons the anesthesiologists you know dentists are, are a good example because they're hunched over all day long over patients neck and back problems are very prevalent in that profession um, so if there are more things that could render you disabled it's going to cost more to get that policy whereas a primary care doc or a psychiatrist that that doesn't have the same physical demands as some of the other specialties it's going to be less expensive so um you know it, it's priced accordingly and uh um the likelihood of getting disabled you know is, is 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 somewhat based on your profession but it's more so like what what injuries or illnesses more likely could you incur that render you unable to do your job and i could like rochelle mentioned like there's no one person that's uh um you know immune to, all immune to, to disabilities <laughs> like if you're a psychiatrist and you can't see hear, speak um you have some brain problems you know that that's going to make it difficult to do your job you know um you know, primary care same thing you know you got to be able to to write things down type dictate talk see here just having those basic functions there's a lot of things that could potentially make that challenging for you um so yeah no one's no one's immune from from all disabilities so regardless of how likely or unlikely you think your specialty uh is you know it's still important to get just in case you never know it could happen to you mm -hmm. Probably That's more what all of this is for. All of this is for just in case. We always hope that like a lot of these insurances are a waste of money. Like that's oh, the yeah. goal. We don't want to get disabled. We don't want to pass away early. Like we don't want any of these bad things to happen to us. But we still want the financial plan to be successful, even if something does happen. Like that's that's absolutely the goal. Um, a lot of people also know that they have some group coverage, and mo most people do. Most people have some sort of coverage through work. But I think that there's some common misconceptions that that provides more protection than it actually does. And Correct. Right. Yeah. So most of the time, like it protects a portion of your income. That portion that it protects is then a taxable benefit. A lot of times there's a cap, which means that it will only pay up to a maximum dollar amount. And that maximum dollar amount is significantly more than you actually make. And then the other thing is that those contracts are not super strong generally because it's a contract between an insurance carrier and your employer. It's not a contract between you and an insurance carrier, which means you have very little control over it. And they have to mitigate costs in some way. They can't provide you like the Cadillac of all plans for all insurances. And with disability insurance, a lot of times that group coverage will protect your ability to do your job. That's what we're talking about. Protect your ability to do your job for a couple of years. But after that, it'll switch to something called an any occupation definition of disability. And that basically just means that if there's anything that you are reasonably qualified to do that you can do, you will no longer be considered disabled. It's kind of like, hi, we gave you a benefit for two years because you couldn't do your job. But now we know that you can, again, go to the post office, lick stamps, you can do something. So please go back to work, even if it's dramatically at a lower pay than you were getting before. It doesn't matter. Like if you can do something, they're not going to give you a benefit anymore. That's a that's a big thing. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest misconception is people mm -hmm. assume that the coverage they have through work is sufficient. But I mean, really, if you think about it, everyone at the hospital has the same policy. All the young healthy people get the same coverage as the old unhealthy people they never asked you any health questions when you signed up for it. it doesn't cost you anything probably gives you an idea as to the quality 
of the coverage. Um, you know, like Rochelle mentioned, there's there's often some limitations to it, and and every employer plan is different. You know, some employers have a very strong group disability plan, but just due to the fact that they're not underwriting everyone, they're going to limit some of the features, and it's likely not going to be as strong as something that you could get if you go through medical underwriting outside of work. Now, if you have health issues and can't qualify for the Cadillac plan outside of work, this could be a great alternative, depending on the employer you choose to uh, work with. Um, but yeah, it rarely will cover all of your income, like Rochelle mentioned. Usually there's a benefit maximum, and it's often a lot lower than what your earnings are. So if, if you're making, for a round number, say your gross earnings are 20000 a month, but your group disability plan caps out at 10000 a month, well, it's only covering half of your income. And, uh, you know, most doctors, especially early in their career, find a way to to need all of their income to support their lifestyle and and, and reach their financial goals you know we um you know which kind of gets us into our next misconception is i don't need to protect all my income um you know potentially that could be the case depending on circumstances but you know we want to look beyond just our basic living expenses you know if you add up your your grocery bill, your your rent or your mortgage and your utilities, yeah, that might be a lot less than your gross income, but when you factor in student loans, when you factor in retirement savings, you know, savings for kids' college, disability benefits end when you're in your mid-60s in most cases. So if if we unless we plan on dying in our mid 60s we need our we need to still save for retirement while we're disabled. Um, if you still want to send your kids to college and pay for it, you still need to save for their college. Um, so, so we still need to, to to put money towards those other financial goals. Also, health insurance is one of, is an often overlooked piece of the equation. Um, if if you are disabled long term, um, you're not going to still be employed at your current employer. They're not going to keep you on the payroll if you can't work anymore. And if they terminate your employment, your benefits also get terminated too. And one of those big benefits is health insurance. So in addition to all your other bills and expenses, you now also have to pay out of pocket for health insurance, unless you have a spouse who, who works and has a health plan you can hop on. But that's gonna be a pretty expensive uh, bill to, to handle for a disabled person. So you probably need more than you think. You may not need 100% of your income protected. Everyone's circumstances are different, but I would say for the majority of people early in their careers, um, protecting the majority of that income would be prudent. And you know, once you get to a point where you no longer need as much income to, to accomplish your financial goals, you could always scale down or cancel the policy. Uh, but early on, I would I would have you know err on the side of having too much coverage than not enough. Yeah, that's one thing I think is important to to emphasize is that if you don't need this in the future, you don't have to keep it. Like this is not a contract that you are signed up for long term. So, you know, signing up for it now, uh, protecting yourself as best as possible now does not obligate you to continue paying for insurance long term. Yeah, I think so. the other or sorry, mm -hmm. I think the other thing on the group side is the the employer holds that insurance contract not you so they could change their benefits at any point in time and revise reduce or cancel the disability plan altogether if they want um, and if you leave the employer 
and go work elsewhere, the benefits don't migrate with you. And depending on what that next employer offers, you may or may not have coverage or the same amount of coverage. Um, not all employers offer disability insurance. So we, you, you really become dependent on your employer in that scenario. And ideally, we're independent financially from our employer and, and, and don't rely on our employer to provide for us beyond just giving us a place to work um, and paying us a paycheck. So we, we don't want our income protection or disability insurance to be in the hands of the employer. We want to ideally take the onus and control that aspect of our financial world because of how important it is. Absolutely. And I do think that we work with a lot of people who are earlier on in training and they just think, okay, this is something that I take care of when I'm in my final year, when I'm getting into practice, because then I can afford it. And like that, that's a big thing for people. It's like, I don't have any money. Well, you make like an average person's salary. <laughs> you're, you're not as poor as you think you are. <laughs> but I totally understand that like there's the obligations that people have in budgets can be really tight. But I would absolutely argue that it's something that you can't afford to not have, because if something does happen, then you're out of luck at that point. Um, and and waiting can we've talked about this already, but that can jeopardize your ability to even get coverage. It can jeopardize your your ability to have a strong policy if something does happen with your health. So the sooner the better. If you can, if yeah, I mean even if it means that we're not doing things like going out to dinner all the time or you know if, if we have to have a little bit on our credit card by the time we enter as an attending like ideally we don't do that we don't live on credit cards but if we have to have a little tiny bit of debt like that's something you can clean up pretty quickly as an attending and just make sure that you're not you know we don't want to spend frivolously and, and like waste money but at the same time we do want to make sure that we're well protected yeah, cover the important stuff first. And there, I mean, with disability insurance, the policies are completely customizable. So you can get as basic or as fancy of a policy as you want. And there's ways to structure policies to be very budget friendly while you're still in training. I mean, it's not going to you know, be a dollar a month, but you can make it to where you can afford it on your resident income. Um, like Rochelle mentioned, you're, you're, you have an average household income in America while you're in training. And I know in some cities that goes further than other cities, but still, if we can't carve out a hundred bucks a month to go towards a, a, a strong disability policy, and you can make it less expensive than that potentially, or more expensive, again, you know, you, you can add or subtract some features, but um, you know, I'd like to think that for pretty much everyone out there, we should be able to find something that gets you a little starter plan at the very least that you can then increase when you're in practice to better protect that attending income. Uh, but the biggest thing is that health side of things. We went over a couple examples already. You just never know, regardless of how young and healthy you are, you just never know when something could pop up health-wise that could potentially well one disable you which is the whole point of getting the coverage to begin with um, but also prevent you from then qualifying for coverage down the road your the health issue may not prevent you from doing your job you may still be able to work at full capabilities but you may not be able to qualify for disability insurance as a result and that could lead to to a bigger risk down the road if something bigger does happen to you and prevents you from actually being able to work and earn that attending income.
Yeah, chances are if you're that person that can't qualify for coverage, you're the person that probably needs it the most. Like that's yeah, yeah. it's difficult, but it, it's true. And I mean, I, I don't think we want to be the scare tactic people at all. Like that's not the point of this. But we do want people to be well protected. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the last common mistake or misconception, um, you know, that, that we'll run into is people getting the wrong policy for their needs. You know, they might either be paying too much, you know, they could get a, a similar policy for a lower cost. Um, they may not have the right company. You know, if, uh, you know, uh, again, we mentioned how if you're, if you are talking to a representative of a specific insurance company, odds are they're recommending that company's stuff um, which may or may not be the best fit for you. So just not just not doing proper due diligence on the front end and getting the right coverage for your situation. Um, I guess having something is better than nothing. So kudos to those of you who already have a policy in place, but kind of like we talked about already, we want to make sure it's specialty specific, covers you if you can't do your job. Competitively priced would be a nice um, component. No one wants to overpay. And that's probably the biggest um, I guess pushback, if you will, or, or, or thing that holds people up from actually getting disability insurance in the first place. No one's opposed to protecting their income. It's paying for the protection that's the the problem. Um, so you know, we want to make sure that that we're getting a cost competitive policy based on our age, gender, specialty, state that we live in, and um, and yeah, working with an independent agent or advisor to help you find which company might be the best fit for your needs is is always good. And then it doesn't hurt to review from time to time. Companies are constantly updating their policies or coming out with new policies. Um, so it, it's not crazy to think that the policy you got five years ago, there might be something else out there that better suits your needs or potentially is even better priced today than the one you got a few years back. So. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a chance, yeah. So we said independent a million times. If you do have any questions about disability insurance or anything like that, you can always reach out to us. We can, I mean, if there's an existing policy that you want someone to take a look at, that's something that we can do. Um, but yeah, or if you just have questions, just I like that we are here and we're available and we want people to reach out to us and also reach out to us if there's anything else that you want us to talk about. If we haven't talked about it yet and you're like, come on, Rochelle and Corey, why haven't you talked about that yet? Send us an email, let us know, we'll cover it for you. Maybe give you a shout out in the podcast. <laughs> yes, all right, everyone. Well, stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time. Yes, thanks everyone. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC. 